Academy Awards producer was fired this week. Run the breaking news. I don't follow entertainment news, but an Academy Award producer has been fired. They gave Warren Beatty the wrong envelope. That happened. Of all the envelopes in the world that you would think would be checked and double-checked and checked again, it would be the envelope for best picture. Wasn't best supporting actor. Wasn't best cinematography. This was best picture. Got the envelope wrong. But it's not surprising because celebrities are notoriously bad at accountability. If you're looking for attention to detail, the last person you would ask to give you attention to detail would be a celebrity of any kind. Because celebrity begets celebrity. Once you become famous, the gears switch into motion to ensure that you're famous forever. You'll be getting opportunities regardless of your past failures. Look at Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's back producing movies after he went on a racist tirade. Do you know how many individuals that are qualified in Hollywood want to produce movies and would do a terrific job producing movies? Why do you need to give these jobs to Mel Gibson? I don't know. Well, I do know. Because fame begets fame. Celebrity generates more celebrity. Once you become a celebrity, one way or another, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You will continue to be famous as long as you don't develop a drug addiction and completely fall off the grid. I mean, that's the way that celebrities fall. Or, like O.J. Simpson, you can murder someone and then be acquitted. But then eventually, the criminal justice system will have a reckoning and you will go to jail. I learned that because I watched the O.J. Simpson documentary. It took me eight hours to finish it, and I regret it. If I had to do it all over again, I would not spend eight hours watching that documentary. In fact, I don't think O.J. Simpson Made in America should have won the Oscar. The Oscar should have gone to Wiener, but Wiener wasn't even nominated. That was stunning to me. That was easily the best documentary I've seen all year, and I watch a lot of documentaries because I like to learn. I like learning. I watch more docs than I do action flicks. And Wiener should have won. Why? Because it was compelling. It was more interesting. On the one hand, you have a famous guy murdering two people. On the other hand, you have a famous person who can't stop showing his penis on social media. He's a pathological penis flasher. Which is more interesting? The pathological penis flasher. And Anthony Wiener is a great example of how fame begets fame. He was disgraced as the representative from New York. And then what happened? They brought him back to run for mayor. Why? Because name recognition. Even if your name is Wiener, his name is Wiener. And you would think that that would be a detraction, but it's not. It's just about the recognition. Fame and celebrity allow individuals to jump the line over more qualified candidates every day. So Anthony Weiner, in the upsets of upsets, one of the most bewildering decisions by a political machine in my lifetime, the political powers that be decided to help Anthony Weiner run for mayor. That's interesting. More interesting than what happened with O.J. Simpson, even though I know O.J. Simpson, socioeconomic fallout sparked significant macro discussions about race relations in this country. I understand that. 
It's a much bigger picture when you look at O.J. Simpson, whereas the Anthony Weiner story was more localized, more micro. But remember, the Anthony Weiner movie was less than two hours. The O.J. Simpson movie, eight hours. And what do I love? Efficiency. I like efficiency with my football players, and I like efficiency with my movies. If you're going to be more compelling and do it in a quarter of the time, then you're a better movie. Weiner should have won Best Documentary. Doing a lot of second guessing on this show. And what would the Roto Underworld radio show be without second guessing Mike Clay? Because I recently wrote an article comparing my dynasty rankings to the DLF consensus. We talked about it on the show. I went through the players on the show where the disparity was widest, where I disagreed the most with the experts at DLF. And then I went and wrote an article about it because I thought it would be the perfect premise to introduce the public to our dynasty rankings. And the dynasty rankings article that I wrote has been getting shared and it's been generating some feedback. And in that article, I cited Mike Clay's dynasty rankings specifically to compare where he ranked C.J. Anderson to where I ranked C.J. Anderson. Mike Clay ranked C.J. Anderson ahead of LaShawn McCoy, ahead of DeMarco Murray, ahead of C.J. Procise and ahead of Tevin Coleman. <laughs> he had Tevin Coleman ranked lower than all those running backs. Just completely vexing to me. And a former DLF writer and podcast host, Carl Safjik, was DMing with me. We were talking about my rankings versus consensus, and he could not understand why Mike Clay would have C.J. Anderson ahead of players like LaShawn McCoy. Say what you want about Tevin Coleman. He remains polarizing. But we can all agree that DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy, these are exceptional running back talents, and they will be for the next couple years. So it's a high bar that C.J. Anderson would have to meet to deserve being a more valuable dynasty asset than DeMarco Murray and LaShawn McCoy. And when I was interacting with Carl, I wasn't mocking Mike Clay at all. This is an intellectual exercise for me. I'm trying to understand how and why one of the best fantasy analysts could come to the conclusion that C.J. Anderson was a more valuable asset than those other running backs I listed. And I finally realized it wasn't about C.J. Anderson specifically. It's about perspective. And what is Mike Clay best at? What has driven Mike Clay into celebrity status in the fantasy football community? Redraft rankings and redraft projections. Mike Clay is one of the best in the business at projecting seasonal fantasy output. And some of you lament the fact that I have anointed Mike Clay my industry foil, my nemesis, bringing up his work frequently on the show. And my response is, well, who else am I going to talk about? Who else with the credentials of Mike Clay is producing legitimate, actionable content in February? I mean, send me the writer. I know Evan Silva's doing it. JJ Zacharyson's doing it. But I agree with most of their opinions because we have a similar perspective. We have similar approaches to evaluating players. Just yesterday, Evan Silva tweeted that he believes Cameron Meredith will be locked in as the Bears' number one wide receiver next year. He will lead the Bears in target share. He will be their alpha dog, not Kevin White. And that's a contrarian opinion because we talked about on those DLF rankings, even though Cameron Meredith and Kevin White are of similar age, Kevin White is many slots higher in the rankings than Cameron Meredith. So Evan Silva and I have similar sensibilities and a similar approach to evaluating players. 
Not so with Mike Clay. So with Mike Clay, we have someone with credentials, with valid opinions, whose work has significant legitimacy in the industry, and he's also someone I disagree with frequently. We have different perspectives, different approaches for evaluating players and projecting future performances. So Mike Clay has become the perfect foil for Matt Kelly. And as my anointed nemesis, I have no problem juxtaposing my opinions and my work against his frequently. And in doing so, that's how I realized how Mike Clay could come to the opinion that Tevin Coleman has less dynasty value than C.J. Anderson. And here's the answer. Because Mike Clay looks at fantasy football exclusively through a redraft prism. Because redraft represents the underpinnings of his brand. It's how he became a fantasy football celebrity. His core beliefs and his methodology are inherently seasonal. That's why when I compare his dynasty rankings to mine, there are significant deviations as you look down through the list of players. And when you look at Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman is the perfect example of a player whose dynasty value and his redraft value vary wildly. Because I have Tevin Coleman as a top 10 running back in dynasty. I will not have Tevin Coleman as a top 20 running back in redraft. Why is that? Because Tevin Coleman will be splitting carries with Devontae Freeman next year. Mike Clay understands that opportunity is the most important input factor when projecting seasonal performance. I understand that too. That's why I won't own Tevin Coleman in any league this year. Last season, Tevin Coleman's opportunity share was only 37.3%. When you look at all the team running back touches, Tevin Coleman, under 40%. That was 49th in the NFL. 48 running backs received a larger percentage of their team's touches than Tevin Coleman. So how did Tevin Coleman finish with 14.7 fantasy points per game? Exceptional efficiency. 50.9 production premium, number one in the league. Why is that? Because when Tevin Coleman received touches in the red zone, Tevin Coleman scored touchdowns, 11 touchdowns, top 10 in the league. But across the board, Tevin Coleman was not exceptionally efficient. Look at the juke rate, 14.1, 72nd in the league. When you compare his juke rate to Devonta Freeman's juke rate, 23.5%, 35th in the NFL, it illuminates why I have... Devontae Freeman ranked higher than Tevin Coleman in both Dynasty and soon-to-be in our redraft rankings because Devontae Freeman is more consistently efficient, even though his production premium plus 15.1 was 19th compared to Tevin Coleman's number one in the league. We had a buzzard right in. What stats are the stickiest and most consistent year to year? Well, when you're looking at running back efficiency, the stickiest metric is juke rate. The least sticky metric, the most volatile efficiency metric is production premium. Production premium can vary wildly year to year while juke rate remains relatively consistent. Mike Clay understands all of this. That's why Tevin Coleman will be lower on Mike Clay's redraft rankings than most in the industry. And Mike Clay will be correct because Mike Clay knows what he's doing. He's one of the best analysts in the industry. I want to emphasize that. If Mike Clay was not one of the best analysts in the industry, I wouldn't be bothering to analyze his work and compare my work to his. And in thinking about Tevin Coleman, 
and how Mike Clay came to rank Tevin Coleman outside his top 80 players overall, I finally understood why there's such a divergence. Because Mike Clay approaches Dynasty like he approaches Redraft. And that's wrong. Dynasty and Redraft are polar opposites. It requires a completely different sensibility to properly value players in a Dynasty context than a Redraft context. And here's why. So often we are fooled by efficiency when evaluating players for seasonal fantasy leagues. We think efficiency carries over year to year, and oftentimes it doesn't because there are so many external forces that can drive up or drive down a player's efficiency. So in redraft, you want to fade the previous year's efficiency. You want to buy players that were getting a large opportunity share in 2016, but were relatively inefficient. And you want to stay away from players like Tevin Coleman, who are the most efficient on a relatively low number of opportunities. Rich Rebar came on the show last week. He called it attacking the mean. That's what attacking the mean means. We have to assume that Tevin Coleman will regress next year and be a less efficient running back. And we can't project any more touches next year because Devontae Freeman will be in the backfield with him for the Atlanta Falcons. However, in Dynasty, the opposite is true. You want to fade opportunity and you want to buy efficiency. You want to buy Tevin Coleman in Dynasty. Because the production premium shows you this is a quality player. We're looking for metrics that can provide a window into a player's intrinsic quality. That is one of the missions of Player Profiler. That's why Player Profiler is more useful in a dynasty context than a redraft context. We're looking for those efficient players. Because efficiency matters over the long term. Because the more efficient players in the long run will start to receive more opportunities. It might not be next year. It could be the following year. But you want to invest in these players because they've demonstrated tremendous on-field efficiency and there's a high likelihood that it will carry over year to year. The same is true with inefficiency. The inefficient player is someone you want to stay far away from in Dynasty because you never know when his last carry in the NFL may be. That's Matt Jones. I was fine drafting Matt Jones in round 10 last year based on opportunity alone. Talk to J.J. Zacharyson about it. I was not fine acquiring Matt Jones at any price in Dynasty. Inefficient production is a red flag in Dynasty in a way that it's not in redraft, which takes us to C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson has been an inefficient running back for two straight seasons. This should be a Dynasty warning buoy for Mike Clay, but that's not what he's focused on. He's looking at his Dynasty rankings through a redraft prism. And that's how he got C.J. Anderson and Tevin Coleman wrong. But because I like efficiency, I like the format that rewards efficiency in the long run, and that's Dynasty. Because Dynasty is more intuitive. I prefer efficiency and intuition. Those are my sensibilities. That's what I enjoy. So it makes sense that I would enjoy Dynasty more than I would enjoy Redraft. That's why I wrote a 100-page book on Dynasty, and I've yet to write a book on Redraft, and I may never write a book on Redraft, because it's not as compelling to me. That's where J.J. Zacharyson and I disagree. That's where our sensibilities diverge. He's much more interested in Redraft. I'm much more interested in Dynasty. And as of right now, I am updating the Dynasty Dominator book. We're coming out with our third edition very soon. So if you're thinking about downloading the Dynasty Dominator this week, do not do it. Wait until next week. At some point next week, we will announce the launch of the Dynasty Dominator 3rd Edition. Everyone that listens to this show who's in a Dynasty League needs to download that book. 
That book has insights from Jacob Rickroad, Rich Rebar, and many of the top fantasy minds at both Rotoviz, Dynasty League Football, and Player Profile. But don't get it yet! Don't get it yet! Wait a week. And I salute Mike Clay for climbing to the top of the fantasy football industry ladder. That's not easy to do. He started from ground zero and just outworked everyone to get to ESPN and to become the most trusted fantasy analyst for redraft rankings and projections in the industry. Mike Clay is a legitimate success story, but not enough quality analysts receive full-time opportunities to work in the fantasy football industry. And why is that? Because famous individuals with no fantasy football credentials are jumping the line. Interlopers, carpetbaggers like Michael Rappaport, Lisa Ann, drop out of the sky and get their own shows on Sirius XM, start to show up on SportsCenter with no fantasy football credentials. Rich Rebar, who we talked to last week, he's been writing some of the best fantasy content for years. But Michael Rappaport flames out in Hollywood, moves to New York, and has a fantasy football show within a month. Lisa Ann decides to wind down her pornography career and jump right into a fantasy football show. Why not? I would. If you're famous, the gears are turning in perpetuity trying to help you stay famous. You're in a positive feedback loop. The only way you don't stay famous is to completely drop off the grid. Someone somewhere will give you a job, will give you an opportunity because everybody wins in that situation. Everyone can leverage each other. We're using each other. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. You're bringing your fans and your followers to my platform. I'm giving you an opportunity to have a voice and to earn money. I don't begrudge Michael Rappaport and Lisa Ann for making money, but like I do so often on this show, I take a step back and ask one question. What are their credentials? Show me the compelling article they wrote. J.J. Zacharyson wrote a book about the value of fantasy quarterbacks that changed how we value the position. But I don't hear J.J. Zacharyson on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel 87. I don't hear him. He doesn't have a show yet. Why? How is that possible? I don't know. Why is Living the Stream not a weekly show on Sirius XM Channel 87? I don't understand that. Scratch that. I know why. Because individuals that are far less qualified to talk about fantasy football have shows in those time slots instead of J.J. Zacharyson. Individuals like Lisa Ann and Michael Rappaport. I've listened to Michael Rappaport's analysis. I've read Lisa Ann's fantasy football content. And you can't tell me these individuals are leading voices on their respective platforms purely out of merit. They are in those positions because they are famous. And the fact that this industry props those individuals up that makes those individuals the public face of the fantasy football industry does damage to the credibility of this profession. A lot of people still believe fantasy football is a joke. When you hire porn stars and former actors, you only perpetuate that false belief that fantasy football is just a silly game. It's not worthy of full-time employment. It absolutely is. What Mike Clay's doing is absolutely worthy of whatever he's earning. He probably is not making enough based on how hard he works. Most of the individuals in the fantasy football industry do not make enough. They're worth more than they're making, but the industry does not have enough credibility to command the compensation that the individuals deserve. 
and Michael Rappaport is not helping with this credibility problem. He may be the worst possible ambassador for fantasy football, and he's the one that has a show. I mean, you wonder why fantasy football writers struggle. It's because Michael Rappaport's getting the opportunities, and what is he doing with them? He's attacking Roy Bellamy, the producer of The Dan Lebertard Show, with racist tweets. He's become a laughingstock because, of course, he has his acting career flamed out. Fantasy football was a life preserver for him, but the downward spiral had already begun. You give him a platform, you give him a microphone, Sirius XM, guilty, ESPN, guilty. This is what you're going to get. He's just a mouth. That's all he is. He's just a mouth that likes to talk. Why give him a platform? Why give him an audience? Why not make him earn it? That's what I object to. He's a great talker. That's a skill. Fan. Great. Fine. I'm a great talker. I want great talkers to get opportunities. Yes, that's good. It's a valuable skill. Talking. But at least make him demonstrate competence. Make him compete with others in the industry that were in line first and are producing much more compelling content on their podcasts and on their websites. Because how the hell is this industry supposed to gain credibility if your mainstream voices are a washed-up bigot actor and a porn actress? How? How is this going to happen? We're becoming no better than the sports betting industry. That's my fear. And I have a stake in this. Player Profiler has become my life. In a few years, it will be essentially my life's work. My life's work in this industry. I have a vested interest in curating the credibility of this industry. I want fantasy football to be a mainstream phenomenon that the majority of the public respect. But we don't deserve any respect if our public face is Michael Rappaport.